from Synchro. I'm Jake Hampson, and this is the InSync Podcast. As a really massive thank you to everyone that's been listening so far, some great news. We're going to be commissioning Series 2 of the podcast, as well as some amazing original video content. It's going to be coming to you soon on InSync. Today, we've got 45 minutes with Jamie Mitchell, founder and CEO of Low6. And I thought this time, Jamie, introduce us to Low6 in your own words. Over to you, Jamie. Good to be on the um, the podcast, Jake. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, so Low6, um, we're a gamification platform um, helping rights holders, sports clubs, venues uh, monetize their assets uh, through the use of gamification in a more safe um, and softer way, I suppose, than traditional sports books uh, across the globe. And for my regular listeners, they know we start with 10 quick questions. Jamie, you ready? I'm good. Let's go. So you've got tickets to both. They're both on the same day. It's the Cheltenham Gold Cup or the FA Cup final. Which are you going to? Cheltenham Gold Cup, no doubt. <laughs> Who's your hero? Um, oh, good question. Stumped me early, Jake. Um, probably going to go with Chris Waddle. Uh, able to sport a mullet back in the early 90s and still be one of the most gifted left-footed players of all time. So Chris Waddle. Fantastic answer. And if you could live anywhere, where would it be? Um, it would be California. And what's your biggest fear? Um, probably uh, not succeeding, uh, failure. What would you change about yourself if you could? Oh, another great question. Um, oh, that has stumped me. Probably the ability to switch off. Um, I am on most of the time, which I'm sure is infuriating for those around me. So yeah, the ability to switch off. And what makes you really angry? Oh, good one. Uh, people not living up to their potential. Uh, it's one of my pet hates. There's, I, You see it in all walks of life, people that could do more, should do more, and probably get to the point where they can't do more and think, I should have done more. So potential, unlived potential. I can agree with that. What motivates you to work hard? Um... I would, I've been through two phases. The first one would be financial freedom. Um, I think as you're younger, you probably think of the trappings of um, earning money and uh, and what that can bring to you. I think that was very much my motivation. Um, I think as you get older and probably a bit wiser, you start to think about um, probably the, the, you know, the why are we here kind of questions. Um, and so to leave a legacy probably is now what inspires me and to, to leave a company behind me and, and, a, and a legacy where people can say, yeah, that, that guy was actually a good good chap and did well. That word legacy is exactly how I answer that question. So uh, we're on the same wavelength, which is great. And, and if you could hire someone to help you, would it be to help you with cleaning or cooking? Oh, cleaning always. <laughs> um a dead cert or an outside chance? Oh, that's another good question. Um, I think I always take a gamble on the outsiders. So, yeah, I'll go with the outsider. And what's the longest you've gone without sleep? Oh, probably about 36 hours. Well, that's a, that's a record equaler on this uh, podcast. The tallest building you've been on top of? Uh, Empire State Building. Fantastic. And last one, most importantly, I've had five no's in a row. Will England win the Euros this summer? No. Sorry, Jake. 
So what influenced the techie and sport lover in Jamie when he was younger? Yeah, um, I suppose, yeah, growing up, always been keen on, on sport, especially playing and participating, cricket, football, golf, all pastimes that I enjoy. Um, always spent my recreational time in and around sport as well. So, you know, very much from, from an early age and enjoyed participating in sport and then went to university um, up in Hull and, um, you know, I suppose met my best friend there, Peter, and and we found a love of a mutual love of horse racing whilst we were at university, and and that added an extra flavour into um, into the mix of the sports we enjoyed. Um, and and I think from that point onwards, really, I, I always thought I might be destined or would be destined to to have a career somewhere in sport. Certainly not playing, but hopefully um, in in some way participating to people's enjoyment of sport. So um, left university um, and went and. Found Found, um, work with BT and uh, British Telecom and an absolutely superb employer and somebody that formatively um, helped me form my career I think with their values and the way they approach tech etc quite an inspiring company actually and um, you know nothing but good things to say about British Telecom and I think that they're actually now probably more innovative than most tech companies in the UK and they deserve great credit for that. And any evidence of entrepreneurial spirit when you were younger? I was really quite boring. So paper round at 14, milk round at 16, um, straight to college. Um, and yeah, I, I suppose, no, there was never any any stories of me selling sweets to my class college, uh, you know, compatriots or anything like that back in the day. But I always felt like... Um, I was destined to do something on my own and I felt like all of my career was was sort of um, a learning curve and, and trying to take the best out of some of the, the colleagues that I worked with and I certainly feel like there's two or three people throughout my career that have helped form the way I think about firstly as we were a sports marketing company um, that the sales and the, the way we approach consultative selling I felt like we picked a lot of good values up from from the BT days. Um, then latterly, I, I think from a tech perspective as well, um, starting to understand about innovation hubs and creative centers for, for brilliant people. And again, BT certainly um, you know helped form a lot of that creative thinking. So yeah, I, I think it was, um, you know, no real signs of entrepreneurial, but always a, a sort of awareness that I did want to do something at some point on my own. Great, and and t- takes on a journey from from channel manager to, to director at BT. What were you responsible for to start with, and, and what did that end up with? Yeah, so channel manager was was a brilliant job and um, looked after franchises across the UK, uh, BT local businesses. So uh, my role was very much to support sales teams up and down the UK and, and help them uh, consultatively sell solutions into small to medium sized enterprises. And it was a brilliant job because every day was so different. You would be in literally the butchers, the bakers, and the candlestick makers. You know, three three sort of different sort of um, demographics, one after the other. Lots of variation, and you'd be working with lots of different salespeople throughout that time. And, um, you know, my, my job was very much um, to, to help put a technical solution together that would fit the client. And um, that was interesting, went up and down the country, um, you know, supporting those teams, met a lot of great people. Um, 
And then the opportunity came then to actually become a director and a shareholder in one of those franchises. And it was too good an opportunity to miss because on my journey, you know, as I say, I always felt like I was destined to do something on my own anyway. So the ability to go in and learn how to run a business of up to 60, 70 people, understand uh, about accounts and understand about performance management when actually every day that somebody doesn't perform is actually costing you is a very different um, mindset than the the days of uh, you know being in the bosom of BT, where you know your colleagues genuinely are your colleagues, you're not paying them. So, um, took the the leap of faith um, to to go and work in a in a in a franchise of which I own shares, um, and and I really enjoyed it. And you know the performance was 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 good. We we sort of topped some of the league tables over the course of the next eighteen to twenty four months, and. I suppose what it really reinforced there was that I, you know, I did have the ability to run a team uh, independently uh, outside of a big corporate organisation of which I'd been in for nine or ten years, and um, that then, you know, I there was never going to be a, a sort of a, a time where I would settle for for being a minority shareholder in someone else's business. Now was the time that I wanted to go out and branch out and set my own my own business up, um, and that was and, and- sports marketing. And exactly, that was priority sports marketing. Now, now, judging by the timings between BT and, and uh, PSM priority sports marketing, I imagine it was was a brainchild during your time at BT. There, there would have been a few months of working on this idea in the evenings and weekends before sort of a, a full send with with priority sports marketing. Would that be accurate, or did the company come yeah, through a different avenue? No, absolutely right. And um, you know, I suppose it was the classic um, in you know in your bedroom sort of thinking about. Uh, this this new idea, this new venture that you wanted to to take, um, and really, I, I'd seen a, a it, we particularly in horse racing and golf and cricket this this need for data, and everybody was talking about how do we capture data, and data is the new oil and the new gold, and you know there was no way that these franchises, these rights holders, were able to capture data in a sort of compliant with GDPR becoming a thing back then, um, how were they going to pivot and capture data from fans? And I felt there was a couple of quite quick, inexpensive wins. So inbound SMS, for example, text the word, you know, win to such and such for us to to capture data. And I knew that that would make a a really quick impact across race courses, golf courses, cricket clubs, et cetera. Um, And then we wanted to get into the tech space to build rights holder applications, which we felt were were really underserved across um, the various verticals we were looking at. So, you know, I'd got this plan, this business plan now that said, look, actually, we can go and make some quite quick money with this immediate inbound SMS um, platform, which we'd created. Um, And then we can really pivot hard after six months of monetization into bring developers in-house, make rights holder applications. And it all made perfect sense to me. And within two weeks of of us setting the business up, we'd gone out and won um, a a huge contract um, with a race race course conglomerate, which meant that, you know, we were funded. And and, and it was just sort of the the culmination of of lots of sort of, like you say, hours outside of work trying to, to make this plan come together, really. And, and what's your what's your choice of thing to do when you've had a, a win in business? What do you get with normally? Would you go out for a, a meal? Do you go and celebrate with your friends? What's your I've had a big win. What do you go to? Yeah, I think I, all the is quite cliche, really. But it, it was going to the pub, you know, we, to the local pub, um, having a few beers and, and really celebrating that because they're, they're, they're few and far between 
quick, good wins in business. You know, it's, it's very easy to win business that's then <laughs> it's bad business for the next 24 months, but good, good deals that set you up and, and you feel like a, 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 are almost transformational, which I felt this deal was, um, you know, few and far between. So we definitely go and celebrate those kind of wins. Um, and then, you know, off of the back of that, you know, that, that period of time, we were really, really successful with, um, the jockey club, with arena racing, with lots of independent race courses like Astor, Ascot and Chester. Um, and we were starting to make real headway. We'd launched applications for Blackburn Rovers, Bristol City, Swindon Town, Northampton. You know, lots of different sort of clubs were now having rights holder applications. And this is where Low Six really was born. So we had a, a business in priority that was scalable, but probably had a limited lifespan because of the nature of applications, i.e. they're expensive. And after that new shiny object's been live for a month or two months, the question comes in, you know, how are we going to pay for that every month? So rather than shy away from it, we looked and said, if we could create some real tangible monetization through this application, um, we, we think we'd, we'd have half a chance here of, of not only keeping these apps in, but really going quite big and strong across um, the rest of the UK and potentially into Europe and beyond. So um, that's when uh, we created the the game, uh, Low Six, which was to to put into all of those rights holder apps. And it was effectively to get the, the six lowest scores over six legs. So I'll give you an example, pick six football teams to score just six goals in total. So that could be six games of one nil it could be two games of three nil and you know the next nil nil very difficult to do but over six legs um and we put that into toaster race courses app it was around greyhounds pick six greyhounds to finish um you know top six whatever the game was and um it was a classic kind of entrepreneurial type of pivot. And I used to have to sit there um, with my girlfriend scoring the Greyhounds on a Friday and Saturday night till 11 p.m. to make sure, because we didn't have any money for a data feed. Um, and so we'd sit there every weekend, you know, my poor my poor missus sat there talking like, where did trap three come? And she'd say third, and you'd, we'd have to manually enter it. It's just dreadful, really. But we were getting two, 3,000 people enter these games, and the data that we were compiling on the back of it all sort of said, look, this is going to be an absolute you know, monster if we could get this right across the board. So um, at that point, um, I reached out to my, my co-founder, Wayne Stevenson, who um, has a history in the gambling industry, worked for all the big firms, Betfred, uh, Ladbrokes, et cetera, and said, look, I, I don't have the gambling expertise to get licensed, um, et cetera, but this could be a really uh, awesome project. What do you think? And uh, we met in the White Horse at Chester Races um, for a pint and a chat, and he said, look, I'm on board. So um, he came and joined, and at that point, we, we then formed the business formally of, of Low Six. Is Priory Sports still thriving? Is it still a business that can you can you separate between the two? One, one's got its value here, Low Six got its value, or do you see the two sort of morphing into the same offering? Yeah, so Low Six purchased Priority Sports Marketing lock, stock, and barrel uh, in the summer. Um, so now Priority Sports Marketing still uh, still running, uh, still working with clients, but um, the scale that Low Six has now achieved means that Priority really is the marketing arm of Low Six. And yeah, we, we sold the, the whole business lock, stock, and two smoking barrels to Low Six in July. With a period where you had Low Six and you had PSN, they were still two separate entities. Was that difficult, running two separate businesses, giving each the, the time they needed? 
Yeah, re- really challenging. I mean, they, they're both so interlinked, you know, so low six was inside the priority sports marketing applications. But um, yeah, I mean, we, we, we needed to fundraise for low six, which was clearly takes time um, and takes a lot of effort building pitch decks, reaching out to VCs, etc. And then we had the normal um, company priority, which employed eight people that all needed paying and all needed to, to have revenue. So, you know, it was very labor intensive. And uh, there, there were weeks where, I, you know, without getting the violin out, I'm sure most entrepreneur stories are similar, but it was, you know, really, really hard yakka. And you, you sometimes look back and wonder how you managed to actually do all of the things that you did and achieve the things you did because it was very difficult. And um, actually one of the, the great things about Priority now being owned by Low6 is that, you know, it's it, it subsumed into the business and means that it, it's not my responsibility necessary day to day to run two separate companies. One sits inside the other, which is really good. Perfect. And, and Low6, to introduce people to it, I've got it on my phone right now. I'm screen recording. Uh, and what I'm going to do is just so people can be aware if they're listening is I'm going to go through it. I'm in the lobby at the moment. Um, there's a whole host of different uh, sports uh, that I can go into. I'm going into football. I've clicked into the football area now. Now, I'm clicking tonight's games, the English League Mixer. And uh, I can, sorry, rather, I'm going to go the European Sports Mixer, which is the Champions League games tonight. And the entry is zero pounds but first place gets 50 pounds and all i've got to do is guess the results between four games and i win 50 pounds is that right yeah pretty much so um what we're we're aiming to do jake is we're we're aiming to onboard um yeah, a huge land grab of customers onto our platform. Um, the reason we're doing that is there'll be various monetization points that that come in the future in our applications. Uh, this weekend, you'll have the first opportunity to buy a prize draw ticket to, to uh, win a BMW uh, or a Mercedes. There'll be various um, iterations of how we raise uh, and bring in revenue through the applications. But actually, what we want to do with, we've got you know headline partners like the UFC, the Ultimate Fight fighting championships, PDC darts, um, about 21 or 22 football clubs across the UK. We white label our platform so it sits under their brand. So we don't actually promote our own brand at all. So our cost per acquisition um, of clients uh, onto the platform, punters if you like, uh, is is less than £25, where traditional sports books uh, you know, over two hundred pounds to acquire a player. So, what we're able to do right now is is an example on the Conor McGregor fight. You know, we Low Six was the white label pool betting partner of the UFC. So, the UFC launched pool uh, UFC Picks. Um, people would go on, download the UFC Picks app, all branded UFC. They would play the game for free for a chance to win five thousand euro for the Conor McGregor fight. Um, and what we do, you know, clearly we've onboarded five thousand plus people that evening, um, all age verified, all compliantly onboarded onto a, a fully regulated UK Gambling Commission licensed platform, which we have. Um, and then at later points, we'll look to monetize our audience. So we're creeping above 80,000 um, users on the database of which 50 or 60% of those you know return each week. Um, uh, to give you an idea, people like PointsBet, when they got to their IPO, they had 100,000 users on their platform. So, you know, we're tracking really nicely against industry averages. And uh, for us, really, it's exciting because now we've got a, a big scale of of users on the platform, um, which allows us, as I say, to monetize as we move forward. 
And uh, I'm, I'm going to go a bit off script here, um, but it must be amazing for you personally with your interest in sport. It's not like you're doing something for work that you, you're interested just in a career. Sport, as you said, to start with, was was what you're interested in when you were younger. To have these partnerships with the UFC and the top of the Scottish Premier League, uh, Rangers. Oh, on the Rangers. What's, what's that like for you personally? Yeah, I think it's um, it is amazing. Sometimes you pinch yourself because it's like anything. I, you know, it can become a busman's holiday. Sometimes, you know, if you're always in sport and always have been in sport, it's it can become you become numb to it sometimes. But there are occasions when you pinch yourself, like like you spoke about before, Jake. You know, working at the Gold Cup and and down at Ascot for Champions Day, and you know when you go to the UFC events or the boxing, it, it is a pinch yourself moment and. Um, yeah, sometimes you forget how far you've come because you're right in the thick of it. But no, it's a really, you know, it's great. I wouldn't have it any other way now. Has it been a miss with Cheltenham not being uh, an in-person event this year? Would it uh, have been slightly different for you? Yeah, it's it's a nightmare. That's the only time actually off that we, we really take. So a couple of us from the business go to Cheltenham uh, socially and we stay in a cottage down there and it's great fun. It's uh, literally 15 minutes from where I live and uh, that Cheltenham week is my favourite week by far. And uh, I don't know if it's bad to say or, or, or right to say, but I went last year and so it, was, it, was the, it was the final act of freedom, wasn't it? And at the time I was joking with the people I went, I was like, this is the last thing we'll be able to do like this for a few weeks. But it was the last thing, actually it was that. And then I went to Man United, Man City and that was it. So I'm really glad I went. Yeah, I think I spread the disease uh, myself when Honeysuckle got round and, and got up on the line. I was um, I was all over a few people. So now I'm with you. I, I watched some of the um, the racings back um, just for prosperity the couple of weeks back, and uh, it, it seems a long way ago, doesn't it? Now with um, with the amount of crowds that were there and people hugging and kissing each other, it's, it seems a long time ago. It's crazy, isn't it? I remember they had a few token hand sanitizers around the yeah. uh, around the area, <laughs> and that was it. But um, we we've, we spoke about a few. Minutes major successes um with with low six already major challenges jamie things that have have kept you up would you be able to pull one out yeah i think i think you know it, it's public knowledge we're in the middle of um uh, uh, an initial public offering so we're becoming a publicly listed company uh, on the australian stock exchange uh in april uh, our, our prospectus is lodged with the asx you know and that process is um for anybody who's been through that it's um it's grueling. Uh, the time zone we're working with is is Australian time, so we're eleven hours behind at the moment. Um, so early mornings, late nights, and you know, to, to go through the the pre IPO um, roadshow, we had to do a fundraise, and and that fundraise was typically from sort of two o'clock in the morning till um, anywhere up to seven or eight in the morning. So um, you know, that is a in itself a grueling process and you have to be on your a game because you're sat and stood on a zoom call typically in front of institutions that are looking to invest millions of pounds with you and um that for me was and still continues to be a challenge because to balance a you know semi-healthy work-life balance um whilst you know being an australian time zone with the pressure of um millions of pounds of institutions money is is it, it can be um, it can be hard work, <laughs> but as I said, it's incredibly rewarding, and the rewards for all the shareholders uh, hopefully will be um, be there in dividends uh, in the next you know six months. Fantastic, and I've seen different figures thrown around for your funding rounds thus far, and, and can you clear it up for us? What's the current state of play with with 
your like you said there your ipo other funding where sure. do things stand with public knowledge yeah yeah no, absolutely so um we've raised 12 million pounds sterling to date um our pre-ipo round was just extended we, we made an announcement yesterday uh, we'll be uh taking another two million of uh investment into the business and that's to um to cater for a, a super high net worth uh, individual who has joined the pre-IPO at the last moment, as if you like, um, he we opened up the round because he's got such extensive gambling expertise. He's raised over a, a billion in funding uh, via mergers and acquisitions previously. So um, we we felt it only right that and you know we wanted to open up the round uh, to give him a chance to to come on board, and he'll be uh, part of the strategic advisor um, roles that that will advise the board moving forward. So we're really excited to do that. So the total that we'll have raised in 12 months is is 14 million um, sterling, which, you know, is, is it gets us to where we need to be going into the IPO and we'll be looking to raise, um, you know, a further 15 million sterling at IPO. 14 million. And what's the roadmap with that money? You, you've got 14 million. I know it's, it doesn't exactly work like that, but what does that 14 million enable you to do that you weren't in a position to do in September 2020? Yeah, so we, we, we're going to the States and we're going to the States in quite a big way. Um, we have a strategic partnership uh, out in the States, which will allow our um, pool betting platform to to be exposed to the NBA, the NFL and various other franchises across the USA. That's a five-year exclusive pool betting um, agreement we've, we've penned. So uh, my personal journey takes me over to New York to live uh, in July um, and we'll be setting up the, the, the New York office there. And so that funding effectively allows our rollout in the United States of America. Uh, we also took some some really nice offices uh, in Cranmore uh, Drive in in Solihull. So our neighbours are Purple Bricks and Clarks, and we've um, yeah. I mean, the, the timing couldn't have been worse. We signed that that lease, and then everybody went home effectively. So I I sort of sit in the the office on my own most days. But um, yeah, so it's allowed us to invest in people. Uh, finally, we've grown from sort of seven or eight employees up to 55 employees in the last um, five or six months. And, you know, our product continues to be exponentially better than it was before. So, yeah, all the classics really, Jake, you know, we're hiring like it's going out of fashion. We're, we're, um, <laughs> we're trying to scale as quickly as we can and, and certainly add to our, our valuation and our market cap. It's uh, um, one final point on that. It- I know when you're a founder and uh, I've had a couple of founders on the podcast so far, they've got that many ideas, that many things they want to do with the business, but only so many that they can choose. Um, Where are you personally with that in your mind? You must have so many ideas of avenues you want to go down. Have you still got all these ideas buzzing around and you are having to be selective or have you now got an advisory panel where you know where you're going? Yeah, no, we've, it's a really good point. Um, a head full of cartoons is somehow, you know, some, sometimes how you get described. And I think um, one of the key things that Wayne and I um, consciously decided to do was bring in a really great um, chief operating officer to effectively um, ensure the strategy did not go too wide and too far. So uh, we brought Jake Johnson in from Lloyd's Banking Group, who'd been there for 16 years, highly regulated uh, industry as well. Um, and Jake's come in and really added some sensible um, approach to, to our strategic thinking. So, um, you know, I, I, my advice, yeah, listen, we're really innovative. We want to keep moving forward. We hire, we think, 
particularly brilliant people. Um, and the idea very much is that we we execute on quite a, um, a linear strategy and we don't deviate too far from that because the, the, the idea um, of, of adding X, Y, and Z into our platform comes daily, not just from me, but from various people in the business. And we just need to be quite ruthless in our execution right now. Uh, the time will certainly come for, for crazier ideas in the next 12 to, to sort of 18 months. Entering the heavily regulated gambling industry is a gamble in itself, right, Jamie? Yeah, we we actually, um, I think we embrace that. So we internally have a compliance team and a risk officer internally now. And actually, it's funny when you start out and you don't have a license, etc. And you you know you 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 think, oh blimey, this is going to take us twelve months to become licensed, and what a pain, and all of that. Actually, it makes perfect sense when you're in the industry. You you really do value your license and um, you understand completely why it's there. And it's for the player's protection as well as the operator's protection. So, yeah, it is a brave step to come into a highly regulated market. The reason we've done it is we think the whole landscape is about to change. So we believe firmly that sports betting via sports books will become increasingly harder to do for the majority of people because it will become so restrictive you will have to prove where your funds come from you will have to prove um, that you can afford to place the hundred pound bet on Sergio Aguero to score first and where we think we're completely different you know and where we we pin our colors to the mast I suppose is that we are looking to help you enjoy a sporting event in a far smaller far more manageable uh, an interactive way with your friends. So a peer-to-peer experience where we have a leaderboard with 10 of us and the stake is maybe £2 or £5 with the ability to win £50. You know, if there's 10 of us in there and we've all put £5 in. And we think that socially it will become more acceptable to have this peer-to-peer experience with a second screen uh, in front of you like your mobile than it is right now where it can be seen as quite damaging. And actually the stakes, if, you know, I spoke about this before in a different podcast, but if gambling companies are able to derive, you know, 80 to 90% of their revenues from 5 to 10% of people, it tells you there's a problem. Um, and at some point the government and governments will intervene and stop that. And I think we're on, you know, we're on the complete other side here. We 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 want to be totally different. We don't want you to spend a hundred pound on our platform every week. We, we're about fun, small peer to peer bets with your pals. Um, and I think that for us is is where we're very different. Because there's no doubt that, um, especially with your friends, you're going to the races or you're watching a game. Uh, having a bet on something can increase the enjoyment of an event. Well, it can increase an event uh, enjoyment of an event a hundredfold, but it can also increase engagement with a sport that you might otherwise not watch or enjoy or an event. So, you know, me and my friends, friends who are listening to this, um, some Champions League finals where two Spanish teams have been playing. Uh, okay, it's Champions League final. We've watched it. We've had a bet on the first goal scorer, Sergio Ramos. He's gone and scored the first goal, and that's one of the stories that we all uh, speak about, you know, because it's uh, so. Yeah, absolutely agree with that. And the peer-to-peer side of things, um, it sounds great. Well, we we want you know we want you, Jake, to to set up a league with your friends uh, on that exact same game 
with no one else in that league if you don't want. So five, six, ten of you in there, set your own stakes. And again, we keep them really quite sensible. So we don't see people have £20 as the stakes. Typically, it's £5, £2, £4, you know, that kind of number. Set your own stakes, have your own internal league. The winner takes all, however you want to set that up. Go and do it. No problem for us. We, we love it. And that's that's the engagement we want to we want to sort of help you with. Secondly to that, if you use our platform, next week we announce um, that we'll be uh, launching our Uber Eats game. Uh, the Uber Eats game is to pick six um, or seven, depending on um, the, the insurance that comes back, games where if you get the correct scores in all of those games, you can win a million pounds. Now, just for playing, you'll get an Uber Eats voucher that you can redeem that day of up to five pounds. So we're about a lot more than just betting. We're about gamification, and you'll see a lot more of that coming across our our partners' platforms and our pa- platforms as we move forward. Sounds like your partnerships teams have been very busy recently and very uh, very good. Yeah, they're, they're excellent, and um, you know we will not stop with that. So um, you know we are absolutely on a mission to work with as many of the right sort of same-minded partners as we possibly can. We work with True Geordie. Uh, we work with uh, AFTV. United uh, Stand. With United Stand. You know, so this influencer-led um, campaigns, you'll see lots more. We've signed um, We've signed another partnership today for another UK YouTube influencer, which we, we think is quite exciting. So keep, keep your eyes, eyes peeled. There's lots more to come. Absolutely will. And and, and just on, we, we've spoke about regulation and the worries that comes with that but you're going into the american markets where actually the opposite's happening there's liberal liberalization of their markets over there states are saying that you can gamble formerly you couldn't go on online you couldn't play poker 10 years ago online unless you're in las vegas um but now across the united states not just poker but online gambling um sports betting is becoming much more liberal are you seeing that Oh yeah, I mean, this is where the valuation and the reason we're particularly going, you know, with an initial public offering is because every single state out there is like a country over here, and as more and more states become regulated um, to to take bets, both on mobile in in venues, you know, we want to be a part of that action, and um, absolutely, our gamification platform uh, going into various franchises across the NBA and the NFL will give people the opportunity to do that, and actually, we'll teach people what sports betting is in a free-to-play model, much like we are over in the UK. Uh, so when they do want to transition and, and place it a wager, you know they know what it's about. They've played in a free-to-play environment with us. And if some of that crosses over into a pay-to-play game, brilliant. You know That's exactly what we're looking to do. So no, we're really excited about the American opportunity. And, and um, actually, it's been, you know, been refreshing for the industry i think because uh, you know there's so many states now opening up it's um it's a bit of a, a gunfight now to see who can become the biggest operator in america and DraftKings with a 20 billion dollar market cap uh, points bet with four billion dollar market cap it's an exciting space to be yeah rubet yeah absolutely and I, I think it's strange in america that for so many years you could own a gun but you couldn't place a bet but now that seems to be changing, doesn't it? And as you said, there's a whole, like half of the world, half of the digital world over there that's being open to it. So that's uh, that's exciting for you. I can see, uh, absolutely see why you're, you're going over there. Um, f- final, final question on that would be, what were the key barriers to entry for you when you first started Low Six? What were those things? Was it the certification? Uh, yeah, so well, two, twofold really. Funding, um, you know, 
being in this industry is expensive. So as I spoke about manually entering um, results for greyhounds, you know, you need data feeds. Data feeds are provided to big sports books, and they are tens of thousands of pounds if you want to use, uh, you know, legitimate uh, data feeds. They're expensive. So funding is absolutely something to consider. Um, and secondly, yeah, compliance and regulation. You know, you have to be patient. It took us almost 12 months to become licensed in the UK. We're now licensed in Ireland. Our licenses are pending in Malta, uh, the Northern Territories of Australia. Um, and we've got various um, things happening around the world. But you have to be patient with licensing. And and you have to be prepared to um, to disclose, you know, everything you've ever done. <laughs> and uh, and uh, you, you can't be shy about that. So, you know, it, it's definitely a challenge and i think it's not for the faint-hearted but if you can break that barrier down you know we've seen ourselves the rewards in terms of funding and 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 and, and fundraising can be can be great you know far more so than if it was just a sports marketing company why haven't the betfair paddy powers of this world done this already a, res- a resistance probably jake to to accept that high high you know i suppose more regulation is coming uh, and that sports books will probably lose those problem gamblers from their platforms fairly soon i i don't think anybody um in those kind of organizations wants to lose that revenue um as much as they say they they you know they want to help problem gambling i do think there's resistance to change there um the problem you would also have is how do you as a sports book work with a club or a franchise um you know the calls to action we ask our clubs to make are all around peer-to-peer small stakes etc if you're a football club i don't think it ever will be a case that under your brand you can say play i'm making the name up but chelsea bet today and have 500 quid on a player such as blah 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 you know heaven forbid there's um there's an outcome from that where somebody you know takes their own life etc that to go back to the club is is you know catastrophic let alone for the families that are affected etc so it hasn't been done under this influencer led um methodology before because safer gambling wasn't i don't think at the forefront of their offering which it is with ours yeah i i there's a strange relationship between football clubs and, and and gambling companies. One is the income they can get from them with shirt sponsorships, and one is exactly that moral side of it. And I don't think any club really knows how to strike that true balance. Some have them on their shirts, and some don't want anything to deal with it. So, um, yeah, no, that absolutely makes sense. Final couple of questions. What's the next 12 months look like for Low Six, Jamie? Hypergrowth, um, Jake. So we will be absolutely... Uh, working with more and more partners, more and more influencers, more and more sports globally, uh, really looking to to move into South America, uh, into Europe. We have a, a, a national game going live in Holland next week. Um, we are really, really ambitious people. We've formed a brilliant management team. Um, and I think you know, scalability and becoming a household name without being a household name um, is, is absolutely um, our, our ambition for the next 12 months. And uh, I think, you know, I think for, from us as well, staying in the Midlands, being local people and, and, and offering employment to us, you know, the right caliber of people around this area is important to us. Fantastic. And what does the future look, per- look like personally for you? Um. It, it really is it a family in America? Is it 
what's it what, what does it really look like do you see yourself staying in new york are you going to dip your toes there yeah um, no i think i think from my side jake it, the, the next 12 months are really exciting you know to, to maximize low sixes potential, to maximize our market cap for shareholders and, and add value, and to really um, show that this um, ideology, I suppose, that we've got in low six um, is valid and is true, um, and that, yeah, you can enjoy sports in this safer way and be gamified, if you like, um, via your favorite influencers and brands, etc., without having to, to necessarily bet huge amounts of money and, and lose the shirt off your back. So that's for me is to maximize low sixes potential in the next 12 to 24 months is absolutely my my personal ambition. And and to enjoy the, you know, to enjoy the United States, I'm really excited to get out there and see, see what life is like out in the Big Apple. Well, Jamie, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Jake. Appreciate your time. The InSync podcast with Jamie Mitchell from Low Six. It's a wrap. I'll see you next week. And thanks for listening.